Good morning, church. My name is April, and our first Bible reading is Psalm 51. Uh, it's actually found on, found on page 458. Psalm 51 on page 458 of the Blue Church Bibles, and it starts from verse 10. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit." A broken and contrite heart, you, God, will not despise. Our second reading is from Ephesians 4, starting at verse 17. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you have learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to, be put, on, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Thank you, April and Rebecca. Uh, please keep your Bible open there. That'll be helpful as we'll be uh, working through that passage and you'll see plenty of room for notes uh, inside the info sheet there. Uh, but firstly, let's pray and ask God's help. Father, we thank you that we can gather in your name and sing your praises and thank you for your blessings and now come to uh, hear your word. Uh, Father, please work in us, help us to concentrate, help us to put aside all the worries and the concerns of the day uh, to focus our minds on what you are saying to us through your word this morning by your Holy Spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. How weird are you? How weird are you? 
Jesus calls us to be different, doesn't he? And so if we are different from those around us, we will be considered weird. Uh, As a minister, I am automatically weird. Uh, I have realised that uh, my family and friends I see regularly have stopped asking me, how's work going? Uh, Because they know that I'll start talking about Jesus and what God is doing and what I've learnt from the Bible and the latest talk I've given or whatever, and all that stuff is weird, like it's outside their comfort zone, so they don't ask. And we stick to sport and we stick to weather and holidays and safe things like that. But how about you? You may not be as weird as me, by definition, but uh, are you still weird in the eyes of some people? How different, in other words, how different are you from uh, family who aren't believers, friends, people you mix with, uh, work colleagues, uh, people down the street? How different are you? Uh, And if you're not yet uh, a follower of Christ, someone committed to Christ, uh, this passage has a big challenge for you, and I and I may I say it's great that you're here. We love having you, people investigating the claims of Christ. But this passage, I think, offers a huge challenge to you. Can you honestly say that your life is satisfying? Can you honestly say that you know why you're here? what your purpose is in being here. And that pursuing that goal brings satisfaction. Can you honestly say that in the bottom of your heart? Today we are continuing our New Year series on the new things Jesus brings to us. And today is new purpose. Jesus calls on us to live a completely new way of life. Uh, Look at verse 17. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. Gentiles in this context is another word for unbelievers, those not following Jesus. So this is saying to, to believers, don't live like unbelievers. Don't live like you used to live before you came to know Christ. Why? Why should believers be different from unbelievers? Why do unbelievers need to change? Well, have a look back to chapter 4, verse 1. This is the topic sentence for the whole of chapters 4 to 6. Chapter 4, verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. We are to live lives worthy of our calling. What is our calling? We'll have a look at chapter 4, verse 4. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. We've been called to a hope, the sure hope of heaven. Jesus has died in our place. If we trust in him, our sins are forgiven. We're adopted as God's children. But not only that, we are then given the sure hope of heaven. Our future is secured in the new creation. How good is that? But that call should change everything. 
It should make us different from those who don't have that sure hope of heaven. It should make us different to who we were before we had that sure hope of heaven. But how? How should we be different? Well, that's what chapters 4 to 6 are all about. The first section, uh, chapter 4 verses 1 to 16, that we're not looking at, all about having the unity of the Spirit, maintaining the unity God has given us, through believing the gospel. And then in this section, we see that it's by each of us becoming a new person. But why do you think we need to become new people? What was wrong with us before? What's wrong with living as an unbeliever if we don't hurt anyone? Uh, Why should this sure hope change everything completely? Well, firstly, it's because of the nature of living as an unbeliever. What characterises life as an unbeliever? Well, two things. Firstly, purposelessness. Have a look at verse 17 again. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Uh, We all live for something or someone, but the question is, is that someone or something delivering satisfaction? For example, wealth. Uh, Many people around us are striving for more and more wealth. Why? Because they believe it'll deliver. It'll deliver satisfaction and contentment and happiness. It'll deliver the good life. That's what they're striving for. But the question is, does it deliver? And ultimately, it doesn't. It may satisfy for a while. It may give a sense of purpose for a while. But in the end, it doesn't last. They slave to get wealthier and wealthier. But when they do, they find they want more. What millionaire is satisfied with one million? I need two or three. Why be satisfied with the luxury cruiser? Right? Strive for the personal jet as well. But then they get old and they can't enjoy it anymore and they die and their relatives squabble over it all. And they stand before God and he says, why did you spend your life ignoring me? Why did you spend your whole life that I gave you Seeking more and more stuff. What a waste of a life. How meaningless. That is purposelessness. It is futility. Now that's just one example. Uh, It's the same with all the other things that we tend to strive for instead of God, like relationships or success or career or fame or pleasure. Um, Sometimes some of them deliver partially, but the satisfaction doesn't last. There is only one thing that delivers eternal satisfaction, and that is to know and serve the one who made you and the one who loves you more than you can imagine. That's the only route to eternal satisfaction. 
So that's the first mark of unbelief, purposelessness. The second is darkness, verse 18. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God. God is light. He is the source of truth and meaning. And so if, you're, if you ignore him, you're in the dark about truth and meaning. Uh, you may understand the incredible complexity of the DNA in each one of your cells that sustains physical life, but you won't understand the meaning of that life. Uh, you won't understand why you're here. Because the meaning of life is defined by the one who gives it. Why are people separated from God? The next phrase. Why is there this rift between people and their maker? Is it because God is playing hard to get? No. Next phrase in verse 18. It's because of the ignorance that is in them. But what does that mean? Well, there are two types of ignorance. There is the ignorance that excuses us. Uh, I'm very sorry, officer, for doing 50 in a 40 zone. But if you go back, you'll see the sign's actually been knocked down. It wasn't there. Uh, that sort of ignorance could excuse you. But there's another sort of ignorance, isn't there? Um, officer, yes... I saw the 40 sign, but I chose to ignore it. That sort of ignorance accuses us. By the way, if you're wondering, yes, I was caught doing 50 in a 40 zone. I swear I didn't see the sign, but it was probably there. But what sort of ignorance is it here in Ephesians chapter 4? It's the deliberate ignorance. It's the deliberate ignorance ignoring of the God we know is there. How do we know that? Well, because of the next phrase, due to their hardness of heart. We ignore God because of our hardness of heart. Hardness of heart is stubbornness. Uh, it's the attitude of the five-year-old who is told six times by their parents, it's time to go, you need to get out of the swimming pool, but who refuses to get out of the swimming pool. That is stubbornness. That is the problem at the heart of the human condition. Despite the overwhelming evidence that God is alive and he's, and he's there, the evidence of the creation, the wonderful and complex and ordered creation, despite the, all the evidence of God's work among his people in the Bible, despite the evidence of Jesus, despite uh, the fact that all people know deep down that we're accountable to someone, uh, despite that, we ignore him. We say, no, you're not there, or I can't be sure. We choose to ignore him, and that's a deliberate ignorance. And so we are without excuse. We have not got a leg to stand on before God. And what is the result, the end result of this way of thinking? Up until now, have you noticed this description of unbelief is to do with the head, it's to do with the heart, the understanding, but as surely as hate leads to harm, this wrong way of thinking leads to wrong action. 
Wrong thinking always leads to wrong action. And the wrong action here is a downward spiral. Whoops. A downward spiral into depravity, as described in verse 19. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. Now, this is not a description of every single unbeliever. You may know God in his great mercy restrains many unbelievers from sinking as far as they could. Uh, Otherwise, the world would be completely unworkable. He shows his common grace. But what the apostle is describing is the logical end point of a godless way of thinking, where we should end up if we ignore God. And God does give many unbelievers over to this way of living. Um, We see examples of it, sadly, all around us. I think reality TV, if you can bear to watch much, uh, gives you great examples of this. Have you seen the ads for the latest show, Love at First Sight? Um, I cannot believe the manipulation of people involved. Just from watching the ad, uh, the way the producers have obviously picked vulnerable people, uh, and especially the women, no doubt the men as well, but especially the women, these poor women who are desperate for a meaningful relationship. And they believe that getting married to a complete stranger is going to transform their lives into this wonderful fantasy uh, living happily ever after. Uh, what a manipulation of people. And, and, and there are the TV channels uh, using these people. Why? For profit. They are full of greed. Uh, verse 19, uh, and we, I hope not, we soak it up as entertainment, the manipulation of people's lives. Uh, it's part of the downward spiral of our society. By the way, if you watch that show and it's not as bad as the ad, let me know, but I'm not going to watch it. The ad is just too terrible, too painful. So if we ignore God, he may well... Let us down this downward spiral to greater and greater depravity. Uh, A new, greater perversion must replace the old when we get sick of it. Now, that is a very thorough description of the life of unbelief, isn't it? Uh, I've used up over half my time already uh, describing the life of an unbeliever, as Paul does in this passage. Why is that? Why does Paul spend so much time on describing a life of unbelief when he is trying to encourage us to live the new life? Well, to make the point that the new life is completely different from the old. It's completely different to following Christ. 20 and 21. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. When we hear about Christ, we hear about a completely new, a completely different way of living. We are taught to be like him, 
to imitate him in every aspect of our character. You see, Christianity is not just a new set of rules or a new philosophy of life or even a new set of principles of how to live. It's about meeting a person, the risen Jesus, and living the rest of your life in relationship with him. That's what it's about. It's to put off your old self, verse 22, and to put on the new self, verse 24. It's like taking off one set of clothes and putting on a new set of clothes. Uh, When I got up this morning, I took off my pyjamas. Now, why did I do that? They're perfectly good pyjamas. Because they're inappropriate for a church gathering like this. And I put on a new set of clothes. Why? I hope these clothes are more appropriate for a gathering like this. The Christian life is like that. What are the clothes that we are to take off? Well, verse 22. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. The old clothes are the old person that we used to be. Uh, The person who was caught up in living that life described in 17 to 19. The trouble with those clothes is that they're rotten. They have a distinctly bad odour about them. Uh, I love bushwalking uh, for as long as I can. So on a summer's day, I like nothing more than for eight hours to be out walking in the bush. But I'll tell you, after that, my clothes have a distinct odour about them. I need to take them off, put them in the wash and have a wash. Well, same in the spiritual realm. We need to take the old clothes off. We need to put aside that old way of thinking, that old way of acting. It's not appropriate anymore. It's not appropriate for someone with a sure hope of heaven. What are the new clothes that we're to put on? Uh, Verse 24, they are the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Our new clothes are a new person, a new person who is like God in their character. A person who shows righteousness. Righteousness is simply treating God and other people as they should be treated. Uh, A person who shows holiness. Holiness is living to please God, acting and thinking to please him. But how do we do this? How do we put off the old? How do we put on the new? Is it through sheer determination and willpower? Well, yes and no, we do need to make every effort. But God promises to empower our every effort. The new self, verse 24, uh, notice, is created. It's a created new self. Created by whom? Well, God is the creator. He's the only creator. As God will surely create a new heaven and a new earth, he is also creating a new you. If you belong to Christ. And he's doing that because you will be part of that new creation one day. The new creation is already starting with you. It starts with God's people, with his church, as we are made new, step by step. Verse 23 says the same thing. We are to be made new 
in the attitude of our minds. Who makes us new? The Spirit of God. As we make every effort to renew ourselves, he renews us. And notice that he renews us from the inside out, in the attitudes of our minds. That's where it starts, our thinking, our attitudes, our motivations, our desires, our ambitions. He changes us so that we want to live his way. This is wonderful news for believers, friends. God is changing us. But it's also great news for unbelievers as well. God is not saying to you, you need to change your life by your own willpower alone. Pull yourself up by your own bootlaces. Do better. Get your act together or else. He's not saying that. He's saying to you, I sent my son to die for you so you could be forgiven. I've sent my Holy Spirit into your life. I will, if you turn to me, to change you. Follow Christ as your king and I will be with you every step of the way. And I will change you bit by bit as you turn away from the old and turn to the new. I will be with you. I will empower you. Christianity is a way of life. It's not just a set of rituals. Did you hear the Pope's Christmas message this year? that he encouraged the faithful not to be reading their mobile phones in mass. Now that's got to be the ultimate empty ritual, isn't it? To go to church, why? To catch up on your mobile phone messages. Uh, King, are you catching up on your messages? No, he's reading the Bible. He's reading the Bible. Are you? (laughs) But what an empty ritual. Uh, Christianity is not an empty ritual. It's a way of life. It's walking daily with the risen Christ. And it's countercultural. The Christian way of life is counter to every single culture on this globe. And so whatever culture you're in, you will stand out one way or the other. In fact, if I'm not standing out in any way, can I really say that I'm putting off the old and putting on the new? If I'm just the same as everyone else around me, can I say that God's spirit is at work in me? Or am I just kidding myself? Lord, renew me, change me from the inside out. That should be our prayer. As we read in our first reading, David, David's prayer, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Psalm 51, verse 10. But that is a dangerous prayer, isn't it? It's a dangerous prayer to pray, Lord, renew me, change me, because we know how often it is uh that God changes us, how he often changes us, is through difficulty, through trials, through suffering. They are the measures he needs to go to to change our stubborn hearts. 
But let me encourage you, friends, to pray nonetheless. Lord, whatever it takes, change me from the inside out. Well, friends, what have we seen today? Uh, If you have not yet committed your life to Christ, here, I think, is an invitation from God to take an honest look at your life. Could it be that God is calling you to a radically different way of life? That if you're really honest, your life is not truly satisfying at the moment. It lacks purpose. Do you know why you've been placed on this earth? Do you know where you're heading? Or is the truth that you have been stubbornly ignoring your maker all these years? My dear friend, there is a better way. Learn Christ. Learn about his life. That is where meaning and purpose is to be found. Put off your present way of life. Put on the new. Uh, Let God renew you. That is an exciting journey to be on. And believers, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, we are called to be new people. We are called to be radically different from what we were, radically different to the world around us, in the way we think and in the way we act. What is it in particular that you need to put off? What is it in particular that you need to put on? One thing for me, I know, is that I need to put off worry. I tend to to worry about every little thing, to worry about how this talk is going, to worry about tomorrow. I need to put that off, to trust God. He's got everything in control. He's working out his good purposes. Put off anxiety, put on joy, put on trust. That's one thing I need to work on. How about you? If you read through the rest of Ephesians, you'll see it's actually a list, a description of the new life. Be good to do that if you can get a chance in the rest of today, to read that through and see if God is putting his finger on something particular that you need to put off, something you need to put on. So... How weird are you? How weird are you? Jesus has given us a new purpose to put off the old and put on the new. And the more we do that, the weirder we will be. But who cares? Is our aim to blend in? It shouldn't be. Our aim is to please him, to live his way. Uh, And remember, as we strive to do that, put on the new, take off the old, his promise is to change us. Let's pray. Please pray with me. Father, help us to see the futility of living without you. Thank you for calling us to a sure hope of heaven through the sacrifice of your Son on the cross for us. Enable us to put off the old person that we once were and to put on the new person, 
created in your likeness. Please renew us day by day in every way from the inside out. Please, by your spirit, Father, put your finger on things in particular that we need to put off and things in particular that we need to put on that we might live to glorify you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.